This episode is sponsored by High Point Market. High Point Market is the show in the design industry to see the most product for your projects and take in new trends. And you don't want to miss their world-class panels, tours, and unlimited educational and networking opportunities. Fall Market is October 14th through the 18th, so start planning your trip now using the High Point Market app and their free travel concierge services. You can get your free market pass by pre-registering before October 11th. To learn more and register, visit highpointmarket.org slash register H-Y-D-C. We'll see you there. This episode is brought to you by Daniel House Club. Daniel House Club simplifies the process of sourcing and purchasing by giving designers access to over 150 trade vendors in a single place. They've saved designers over $2.5 million in purchase costs in the past year. You'll get paid whether you send a cart to your client or you purchase directly. And they'll help handle the order logistics. Hotties can join Daniel House Club and save 50% off their first year of membership by going to danielhouse.club HYDC today. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? I don't know. <laughs> I my brain is just completely overflowing with plans and stuff and getting ready for some traveling. And this is where your like time dysmorphia kicks in, like too many inputs, not enough calendar visuals. Yeah. Life in general. Like someone told me last night, oh, we're going to High Point in two weeks. And I was like, okay, well, that's not true. But it also really kind of freaked me out. Oh, yeah. Because they, it's, well. Three weeks. We have three weeks from when we're actually recording. But when when you all are hearing this, we're already there. We're we're there already? I don't know. That's, yeah. Speaking of time dysmorphia. But yeah, so we have High Point. Coming up. No, this is like the day before we're at High Point. Oh. Real time. Well, we're on the flight right now. <laughs> I'm I'm eating my circus peanuts. So I'm glad I've already figured out what shoes I'm wearing because Future You is gonna be so proud. She's so comfortable. You. Yeah, she's like on the plane with her laptop tippy tapping out some stuff and Laughing it up with all the ladies from Sacramento who flew together while I'm flying solo and mm. hoping that a hoping a cute flight attendant wants to give me a free drink or something. An upgrade. <laughs> okay, my husband, Sean, he always gets a free something on a flight. Like he helps Do the, they know he, he's legacy or something? I well, oh yeah. Do do people know that? Yeah. So for the hotties, my husband's name also Sean, quick reminder. He, his dad is a pilot, was a pilot for Delta. His brother still flies now for Southwest, but it, it was like he learned all the tricks of you always help people. If you see that a bag is not turned the right direction to make more room in the overhead bin, even if it's not your bag, you turn it because you know someone else is going to need more room. And then if you see people who need help getting down the aisle, 
faster and loading up the plane faster if you help them and you help do that the flight attendants are more likely to give you like here's some little hot pocket shots for you because thank you for getting these people moving or otherwise we like, gotta do it but does he wait until he's like in eye line of the flight attendant before he like hops I mean, out of his seat and starts helping they're people? already they're already watching you no matter what you think so he he always gets noticed for doing it and then he always spots the, they, I forget what it's called, the A-line, like the the main flight attendant of the flight is usually working in first class and they're like the top dog of that cabin, you know? Mm-hmm. He always finds the A-line. And oh, eyes on. I need you to see that I'm helping people because then if there's like an upgrade or a better seat or someone to move to an exit aisle or... Hi, hun. Didn't you get? Didn't you get this? I got this for you. Oh, you ordered the extra sandwich, and then meanwhile they're just like tossing free food at you because they appreciate that you helped. And I, I don't know if you give them Starbucks gift cards, they do it too. If you're just like here, get yourself a coffee. Yeah, thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thanks. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, they won't be doing that with all four of us that are traveling together. So you have a better shot at it. Get that A line on. And you got to dress kind of cute on flights. Mm. I don't... Do you dress... I I feel like I've seen you dress on flights and you're not like... You don't dress down. You're comfortable, but you're not like... I'm not in a button-up or... No. I mean, when we're traveling for work, like we're kind of like hitting the ground running usually. So I can't be in like full schlub. But no, it's not like... You and I dress... TWA, like we're in our Sunday best. (laughs) Full blazer. I think I... Sometimes I travel in like a button up or a polo if I know I have to get to something right away. But generally, t-shirts and t-shirt and jeans. But when you dress nicer on a flight, they do treat you better. Mm. And we can call that what we want. It is a little classist for sure. But like once upon a time, like you did have to fly. fly you would fly in a suit. Right. Like you were expected well, to dress like, up. But yeah, when that, it was but for in rich general. People. In general, travel was that way. Like that's like. Going from like the ocean liner lifestyle to... I mean, I'm speaking as late as like the early 90s when Sean would travel. If you were on a friends or family like pass or whatever ticket you got, you were expected to like Oh, you're representing the brand. Yeah. Yeah. You're here. Don't show up looking like a slob because your family is here and you're going to get treated better, but then you look awful or you're like kids are misbehaving and the flight crew all know all the other people who work there. That makes sense because you're also representing, in his case, his dad, who's a pilot. His dad doesn't want his your kids kids are awful. Your kids are hooligans. Yeah. Little rats on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we don't travel like rats on a plane. I Uh, like a soft pant though, for sure. Yeah, you want room to grow. We naturally you'd get a little fluid retention. Everybody Everyone bloats, bloat, right? Everyone, bloat. <laughs> everyone bloats on a flight. Is that that's the whole point? Is you need your compression socks because you're going to be doing the whole thing. And anyway, travel's not why we're talking about this. But no, the, but the, I do feel this topic because I do feel like I need to have my house in order. So before we jump into it, speaking of houses being in order, quick yes. housekeeping. Quick housekeeping. We're going to catch some of you at High Point on our tour, which is great. That's happening actively. And a few of you are going to be joining us on Saturday, October 14th 
at 4.30 at the CFC showroom for a little quick happy hour pop-in with us and Daniel House Club. Yeah, so if we catch you and you're still traveling and going to High Point, please come join us Saturday evening. We'd love to see you. And if you just totally glazed over everything we said, check our Instagram. We'd love to see you there. We'd love to talk and hang out and maybe talk a little trash. and. <laughs> The real... See what happens when Sean and Rebecca have a few cocktails <laughs> in while we're at happy hour and off the microphone. And our friends at Daniel House Club are super fun. And I think they're going to have a couple cocktails too. So <laughs> let's see what kind of trade secrets we can get everyone to spill while they're <laughs> we're gonna lit, do it. lit on a Saturday night in High Point. And if you're not already, we'd love to have you in our Patreon community Patreon. It's just $10 a month. We do live weekly, not weekly, live monthly. Could you imagine? Monthly Zoom meetings based on a certain topic that we announce every month. And they're just low-key and fun and another way to hang out with us. Yes. And I just, I'm saying it again. I do feel like there's a lot of people who like wait to join Patreon. You don't have to wait to join like by the first of the month or whatever. Like when you join is when it charges you. And then on the anniversary of that date, every month it will charge you. So there is no join oh, yeah. by the first and when kind of it, it, when you join is when you join. And you don't have to worry about missing out on something. We keep a really full archive of our recorded hottie hangouts and our exclusive episodes in there. So yeah, they're all there. You don't have to like strategically plan. Oh, well, I've got to wait you, till the first or something. Well, like people don't want to... Yeah, if you don't get that, then you wouldn't want to just waste your money on sign up on the 30th, but it actually doesn't matter. <laughs> so thank We're you. We're really selling it. It really doesn't matter when you join. You it doesn't get matter when you join as long as you join now. And you get everything <laughs> as soon as you join. So there's no drawback to that. And, and it helps support the show. So thank you for doing that. I know. That. I feel like we haven't mentioned that in a while that Literally, this is what makes it possible for us to be able to have an editor and to host the content online and it has to live somewhere. And that's what you're doing with that. Go to market. Okay. Oh, as well as our shop, shop shop.hotyoungdesignersclub.com. We have a lot of accessible resources in there and we appreciate everything that you guys do. Yeah, thank you for your support, hotties. We love having you. And it's just, I, I don't know. We've had a reporting this year itself has been such a big change and growth for each of us. So I think it's been really great to see how our community is coming together and being able to do some live stuff has is really making a difference in the way we feel fulfilled doing it. So thanks, hotties. Thank you. <laughs> and now back to the show. Yeah. We're gathered here today <laughs> to share. So lessons in project management. This is not a process party. This is not a how-to per se. Maybe it's what not to do in some cases. <laughs> but I don't know. So to me, project management is highly personal. I personally think some people's personalities are better at it by nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of us are a little more scattered, a little bit more, Sean likes to say, visionary or big picture thinkers. And some of us just 
love that nitty gritty and it comes really natural and you can just click along. So I think in general, when designers talk about project management, I don't think all designers are created equal, but I also think there's ways to sort of hack your brain or hack the system or hire it out, hire it out. (laughs) So finding that. So wait, the answer isn't, the answer is not just don't figure it out in any way and just fuck it up the whole time. (laughs) Well, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Well, or just see, or just think like, I'm terrible at this. I'm not the it, person to be doing this. I should quit this entire industry. Which we do hear, we see from designers, especially yeah. in the Facebook groups, not so much in like our Patreon, which maybe it's happening there, but it generally, I see the designers who are like, this is the part that I hate the most and it makes me want to quit every day and I just can't handle this anymore. And I just feel like if we own our own businesses, why are we allowing ourselves to continue this pattern over and over and never changing any of it? Like we can, it's not easy, but we can change it. Yeah, we can. And we can also change our mindset. So I think that's something that's been a lot of growth for me that I still struggle with it. So it'll come up a bit in this episode when there are amazing designers that we've talked to on the show and that I meet in life or here see on Facebook or whatever. And they just mm-hmm. excel at this. Like it's and it's the way their business is like maybe marketed right. or framed and driven mm-hmm. because it's like working. And then I'm like, oh, I don't excel at this. It does not come easily for me. But there's other things that my strengths come into play. So you just have to like, don't beat yourself up, but figure it out. Get better at the parts that you're not good at by learning and listening and working hard. And then if, but also don't fight it. Like there's ways to but also aren't it out. Aren't there, let's be really, I think we've talked about this in relation to other things. The example was when my client, one of my clients was like, I didn't realize window treatments were so complicated. And then you said, when I was expressing the story to you, you were like, duh, like it's its whole own industry within our industry. Duh, it's its own complex thing. Like upholstery is its own complex industry and window treatments is, and to the same end, project management is its own complex industry. You can get a degree in it. Yeah. And there's there are dozens of project management certifications depending on the philosophy and what types of things you are working with. There's software stuff, there's construction project management. It is its own other world within what we do. So when I hear designers sharing how frustrated they are about this, no duh, because unless you have been purposefully trained in these techniques, Mm -hmm. you are making it up as you go. And we are, we could easily beat ourselves up over and over again for not knowing something that is worthy of a a whole college degree. Totally. So we can't be that. Like the same thing could be in the bookkeeping we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) The, Yeah. uh, Yeah. The specifics of the trades that we work with. Oh my God. Can you imagine if you put the same pressure that that a bookkeeper or a CPA is responsible for on yourself all day, every the day? Marketing. I mean, let's talk about marketing. I mean, obviously, I there are entire giant agencies that all they do is market businesses for people. So the fact that we have that on our plate too 
come on, you're only going to be so good at it. And I don't want to be a master of none. Well, like as solopreneurs, a lot of us, I think, feel like we have to be a master of a thousand things all at the same time. It's all about figuring it out, getting your specific recipe right, basically, is how I think of it. And I don't know. Keep trying. I mean, I think we're both, you and I are on opposite ends, maybe not completely opposite, but we're on two sides of it where I'm definitely the cascading things mind. Like when I hear about something, I'm like, oh, but if we say that, then it's 20 steps later, we're going to have to do this too. And so my brain is like constantly thinking about, oh, that's 14 more steps in between. If I say I'm doing that one, it's not just one thing. I'm imagining all those other things that go in between, which can be paralyzing. Right. So you don't even want to do the first thing. Yeah. And and I'll put something off knowing, oh, can't even start to touch that Band-Aid because once I do the whole thing, it's like... Or say no. (laughs) And I do. (laughs) I do. I'm like, nope, not doing that. And and some of that is because I recognize, oh, that's way bigger than we think it, than anyone else is really thinking it's going to be. Don't do it unless you really know what you're getting into. But when it comes to our projects, we technically have already said yes by working on the project and even it getting close to those sort of project management phases. You're already, it's already happening one way or another. It's going to happen. And it's just, do you want these steps to go by smoothly for your client, for your contractors, for your vendors? That's the role we're in. Even We're always kind of picking up the slack for someone if we have to. Yeah, I mean, we've said yes to figuring it out for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my, I think my style is more, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'm not going to mess with the details right now. <laughs> like, I'm not going to let them bog me down or scare me, I think is more of what it is. But I also know that I do having the ideas and less want to implement them. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I mean, I've said this on the show. I want the Miranda Priestly life. I don't want to throw my fur coat on someone's head, but I do want to have ideas that somebody jots down and makes happen. Like I would love to, I would love that to be my life. I do. I mean, we both have. <laughs> you just abund- want the coat. I have an. I have an abundance of ideas, but I do want the whatever happened to that. Like I love. It's it was some executive or something who was like literally just r- r- having someone write down ideas constantly and it was like everyone was a business idea or everyone was a thing. I can't I don't know the rest of the allegory, but it's that same Don idea. Draper? But like pretty much like I'm <laughs> this is a weird saying, pissing pennies. Like I'm making money just inherently automatically all day long. So you all should just be writing these down because I'm giving you <laughs> I'm making money for you and I haven't, I don't even have to work hard. Catch them. I just, you just have to get it. But those are, those are definitely like two different styles of thinking and strengths. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. So we, we, the idea for this was to maybe share a couple anecdotes and a couple short things that we've learned throughout different phases of project management because it's, 
there's project management of the design. There's project management of procurement. There's project management of construction. There's, I mean, the whole thing is a project. Designing anything is a project. So we just wanted to make it a little bit more bite-sized in kind of different components and share some pieces. And maybe you're in a different phase of your business and you've already gotten past it or you're experiencing things that we did in the past. Yeah. We're all in different spots. Okay. Well, so one of the big things I think, so from the, let's start with the design phase. The biggest change that I've made this year is I used to, so what I used to do is I'd get the project, get the payment, get the questionnaire going, do all like the client kind of onboarding discovery stuff. Right. And then start designing and kind of not really give the client an idea of when to expect things until I knew when it was going to be ready. Yeah. Based like now on, it feels right. Yeah. Have- yes. Which sounds kind of crazy now. <laughs> Would you say it out loud like that? Yeah. But I think a lot of people do this, I hope. I mean, I know we've both been there. So now, but that does not work for me. And well, it does not work for clients because a lot of the time I'd get caught with them asking for updates. a check-in, updates. Mm-hmm. And that's not great. So I definitely know I need a deadline. Most of us really do. And I need tension yes. and pressure to really get actually get my creative juices going. So now I build out these milestones at least for the design phase, like the first two or three meetings at kickoff. So they know, oh shit, I'm not going to see anything for six to eight weeks. So I'm just going to back off. But I also know what my timeline is. And it worked. It's worked so much better. I think you and I both had those experiences where we're just like, oh, it has been a little long. Oops. Like I let this one go a little further than I wanted to. Or I wasn't inspired, which is It's again, a real thing, but it also we're getting paid to get, turn around a result. Like Yes. But also I've I know now a deadline inspires me. Yeah. I'm very much I mean, it's like ADHD kind of it's one of the attributes. But yeah. Like having the pressure and a sense of something urgent makes the juices start flowing. So I've really tried not to get as close to that deadline as I used to. But, you know, I'm still changing shit the day before. You respond really well to a deadline, especially when there's other people who are already depending on you and they already need it. And you are definitely that. Yeah. That's you. I like danger. Yeah, Rebecca lives on the edge. I I still make updates or changes, but I will I I definitely need space and time to not feel anxious or worried and that's sort of like the emotional regulation of it for me. So, I have been over this last 6 months especially scheduling more upfront. Great. We're scheduling this one. Let's put the next one beyond that. Let's put the next one beyond that. Like always getting ahead of at least a couple meetings, particularly when it's the design meetings of, okay, great. We're doing like I just had a client yesterday. I did the concept level presentation and I said, okay, so you're going to have the weekend, look over any last feedback, and then I'm going to send you the dates for the next final presentation after I know how extensive 
our final thoughts are on this revisions, like then I know how much time I need to give myself to do it. And I do think it has changed the way clients respond to the process to know what's happening, when, and how. And that here's what I've been working on, even if it's I've been finding literally a generic list of what happens while I'm in the concept phase. It's a really easy client experience piece to be able to say, here's what we've been working on during the concept stage, blah, 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 blah. And they are literally the same for every project. But it helps them to know. It helps them to have that reminder of this is what we were working on while we're anticipating that next meeting. So having it all planned out makes a difference. And it gives them an assignment or like a bigger picture of why their responses matter because it affects the next meeting. Yeah. So if they don't like that third meeting date because it feels so far away, then they better keep their shit moving. Yeah, exactly. And I think related to the keeping it moving of, of it all is that I used to do a lot of stuff like at the very end, I would do like the sort of final packaging of stuff, like all the details, schedules, yeah. specs, every. And now I'm realizing, no, I have to be working on that in incremental steps as we make decisions instead of giving myself like a whole buttload of stuff to do at the very end. I have to work in those iterations of great, this was all the stuff that's already approved. Let's start getting that stuff detailed out. Let's start getting those all of our files downloaded, all the PDFs, all the spec sheets. Don't just go at the end and have 100 links open on a page, then getting like, everything. Yeah, I know. And this is like a tricky timing for me, whether it's building out schedules or building out like the cost proposal on furnishings. Mm-hmm. If I do too much of that in real time, then I'm wasting time because I make a change and oh, I didn't have to enter the dimensions right. on that chair because I changed it three times. So it's like finding that timing. What I've done... So I used to do that where I'm like, I'm just going to get ahead of it and do it in, as I go and just keep spinning in circles and <laughs> wasting time. No, it's not effective to do all the write-ups on a custom chair or something only to find out that they declined the chair at the presentation. Right. Or even putting it in into Studio Designer as you're picking it, like until it's completely finalized by me, I shouldn't even be putting any of the stuff in. So what I have been doing is I design in, or I don't design in it, but I put build my presentation in Google Slides. And I always link the item in there. And then I now have an assistant or a VA pulling it all and entering it all. So I can just keep working quickly and make changes. And then when I'm at the stopping place, then they do all that entering. Yeah. And I, that's worked really well. It's, I still need that like brain dump spot for it. I still use Google Sheets for that too. But that's like, that's just where stuff has to live so I can get to. I just do it in slides. So I bring, I do a. That's what I meant. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Copy paste of the image and then I make sure it's linked. And you can just dump stuff there. It's like a living clipboard. I don't, I I don't know. I'm not going to pretend my schedules and stuff have been great over the years. There's definitely times where I miss stuff and I have to make it up later. 
mm-hmm. or not make it up, but do it later. But I have definitely learned that the more detail I provide in my spec sheets and all of that up front, the better everything will be later. Like you're going to pay for it one way or another. It just it's better to do it in the beginning when it's still fresh in your mind too. Like if there's and any bef- and like confusion. before a contractor sees it and starts asking more questions, or before you know a yeah. builder's trying to make a bid off of it, or or even like having all this stuff means that if I do all this right, I can provide the details to like my receiver to get a more accurate quote. Even as I'm designing a room, if I'm putting together what this is, they can also look at it and give me more detail. So it helps everybody down the road. I know. It's I'm what I'm hearing is that I know of a I hear you. No, I mean, I've been, I, it's something that I've been working on too and improving. And one of the, for me, it has to be outsourced. Cause you're not the, you're not supposed to be the one doing it. No, it doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't make sense. I also don't think I'm the one to do, like, I don't mind being the one who builds in my Asana. Like, I, I do, I do love my Asana. I, put a lot in there and I get really granular and it's not always the same for every project, but I like writing down stuff that I know is predictable. And part of that is what something we were taught to do when I was teaching curriculum for the bank in my banking career was anytime someone asks something more than once, it means it should be addressed in the curriculum somehow. Like we should be planning for it, putting it in the book, writing down... Templating it somehow. Yeah, like truly, there's very little in our jobs. I think that is like really one off. And in the sense of the truest sense of what one off means is like how many things are actually that unique. I'm a lot of our jobs repeat over and over and over the same types of things coming up. So I don't think any, I haven't seen or heard of one designer who really has it all figured out. Like, here's my 800 step process. I, think there's a lot that's left up for grabs, but you can answer a lot of these questions every time you go through a job and you're like, that needs to be in the Asana template and then update your template every time. Just keep building on it. Hey, hotties. We want to talk to you about our self-guided business retreat. That's right. It's time to start getting your goals together for the next year and we want all of you to do it. So for the month of October, we are putting our self-guided business retreat document 40% off in our shop. That's right. It's normally $99, but it's now on sale in our shop for $59 throughout the month of October. And this document takes you through your own business retreat to help you set your business goals for the next year. So what I like about it is that it forces me to put a date on the calendar. That's why we're starting it a little bit early. And I sit down and look and think back on all the emotional, practical, and financial aspects of my business that I want to reflect on and make changes for next year. Absolutely. And y'all know I love the money part. So the, the financial part of it, of the annual revenue tracker, is a fully functional Google worksheet that you can go into and build your revenue goals around, build your margin goals, build your markup revenue. And it really does help you pick like, what size projects do I want to work on? How many of them do I need to hit this goal? So that's what is really helpful about having that fully functional document in there. So if you're ready to get ready, go to shop.hotyoungdesignersclub.com. You got it. We'll see you there, hotties. 
We can have a whole episode about Asana, I think. No kidding. I'm not ready for it, but (laughs) I... So recently, I was chatting with some other local designers about this, and I had started... I've been working in my Asana with each project being a separate client. Mm -hmm. And then another one of them, another designer, she doesn't do it that way. And she just has a list of, it's more of like status and each client is a task under, or a a client task is underneath that. And I think, I honestly think it might work better for me. I don't, I'm not exactly following, but that's okay. (laughs) I know. So it's like almost like a deconstructed (laughs) where it's not about each project is a client. It's each stage is a project. Oh, so cut that construction stage and different clients are in that stage? Kind of, kind of. I mean, I have that too, but I keep mine really high level for that of just every week I go over where everyone is at and then I compare that to what I have in Asana of what do we need to still do in order to get them from like the discovery phase to the concept stage, from the concept stage to the final design stage to construction development. Like I look at that high level and I feel like that could be its own view in Asana. Mm -hmm. But then each project within it still has its more complex steps inside of it. Each client's going to have even more. Yeah, so I'm just saying that it's evolving for me. And I think if you're in a new, if you're just kind of starting using a project management system, just try something like find a Literally template, anything. try something, start working it. And if it just feels uncomfortable, try to understand why. Is it just because you're not using it properly or you're not learning how to use it? Or is there another way to look at all of it that works better for your brain? So that's kind of mm-hmm. where I'm at. It's taken me a long time to build out a lot of stuff in Asana. It's a continually growing, adding, removing. Oh, we're going to change the whole way we document that. It's, And then you realize as you grow your team that everybody learns and does things differently. So you're like, oh, well, that way of documenting worked for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so I need right. to change it again. And that's... I feel like... Honestly, I'm very skeptical when someone's... I figured it all out. I'm like, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> like, don't... Well, but they did figure it out for them and probably a lot of people. But then there's always an alternate point of view that works for other people. Yeah, because we've also actively done troubleshooting on these things that are and aren't working for us. Like I, I had a period of time where I had stuff leaving Ivy into studio. That's been a long... If any of you ever have to do that, it's a long transition because mine had to stay completely separate. So you wind one th- side down and do the other. But part of that meant I was basically working off of two sort of like tracking systems for things like procurement. And so Ivy didn't really have anything robust. So I was tracking Ivy stuff with a spreadsheet I made and Asana. And then in Studio, Studio has much more robust reporting. So I'm able to get better expediting and report details And I know you've been in studio for... You're ahead of me on getting into Studio Designer. So I feel like that phase of project management almost got easier simply because of the software of it all made makes that part easier. 
Yeah, and the studio, for instance, has its own way of doing things. So it's not like Asana where you can kind of like hack it anyway. Like mm-hmm. Asana, you can just make it anyway. You make you up want what it, you want, which is also kind of makes it hard to start. But studio hard to start, and because you have to understand how it works, and you need, I, in my opinion, I wouldn't do it without a bookkeeper mm-hmm. who's very knowledgeable in it. But once you understand it, then like the way I've approached it is kind of start entering things. I just, I started with a few things that I entered in the right place Mm -hmm. and I've slowly like made it more of a system to where now like with procurement, I can, I didn't use the little color codes for a long time, but with the help of my bookkeeper, I've been doing that to where now it's a tool and I've just keep like kind of refining and getting more information in and out of it as I go. So mm-hmm. no, I wasn't totally overwhelmed in the beginning. I'm still overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent professional in it and I'm not training anyone else on it. Well, I kind of have been, but yeah. It's it's interesting to learn. So that's its own hurdle. But the project management side of it, having a good report, like we're, that's part of the, so much of project management is about that incremental moving forward. But also the main reason you have project managers is for timing, budget, and progress are kind of like my three pillars of why we do what we do. And all of that is to give just like a better experience ultimately for the client. But For me, it's also about if I'm really good at managing the project, I will get a better result when it's done that I will want in my portfolio and it will look better and be better and clients will be happy. So all of that sort of crescendos together. Well, And it's more profitable and you're not pissing off your client and maybe having to pay for an extra install or something because you forgot something didn't come in. or So like... The accuracy of the reporting that I can get from studio when we're buying things means that my clients get better updates and I can also coordinate timelines easier with my receiver. And like I can analyze the reporting to make the best install date recommendations and get my team organized around that. Like having the data makes all of that faster and easier for us. Yeah, and it's not just about Studio Designer. There's a lot of different software that does the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely, if you're contemplating starting one, I would I would do one that has the most. Yeah, more function than you think you need. Yeah, even if you don't use it all at once or all in the beginning, you should be able to keep using more and more of it. But it's mm-hmm. all in the right place to start with, if that makes sense. Yeah, because... When you're growing, you do not want to be also having to upgrade into these new things. I have changed project, no, not project. I have changed bookkeeping software four times. Not recommended. I'm just going to let Rebecca be the what not to do. And I... Because I started with something easy or I think I did start with Ivy and I'm like, nope, I don't like what's happening. And then you, yeah, you move. With so I, I had the benefit of being able to start in QuickBooks when it was really just time billing was all I was doing. I wasn't like selling anything or 
I didn't really have a system. And then I realized really quick, oh, this isn't everything I need. So then I migrated over to the pairing that with Ivy, which is now House Pro. But when I did that, that was that was like that natural thing, but I didn't have to leave QuickBooks, which helped a lot because it wasn't until the last year that I was like, oh no, I've now outgrown these capabilities and I need to be somewhere else. And the the growing pains of doing this, you've had to do four times. And I mean, there was not a lot of projects for the first few, but it's still, if I wanted to go back to those years, I have to find weird records. Yeah, you have to like download, save everything, make sure all the bookkeeping is up to date before you finish one and then go into the next one. So I feel like that has smoothed out a lot. And yeah, if I had to make that recommendation, like you said, it would be go into a software that's bigger than you need it to be or has upgrade options that you don't need yet, but you can pay more when you need them or something. Don't, Don't feel like it's already underscaled for the future version of your business. And that kind of goes for a lot of things, right? Getting too small of an office to begin with because you're kind of like having small thinking. Yeah, yeah. I just need I just need 10 square feet. It's only for three years. No, bitch. <laughs> Don't do it. Do you like, want to be like in the tiny... <laughs> or like we're experiencing it with our website and our shop. Like we've started with a smaller platform then we're going to have to move it. And that's this, So the show, the episode name is now What Not to Do with Sean and Rebecca. Because <laughs> we did it. Because we do underestimate our... I do just feel in general that most of us as creatives have this similar story of like underestimating demand, underestimating need, underestimating growth, underestimating problems. Like we... We don't know what we don't know. And then we get into it and it becomes bigger and bigger. And nowhere is that more apparent to me than in the construction side of project management where anything that can go wrong does go wrong. And the construction... And yeah, and like you should 100% be anticipating it, which... For the designers listening who are like, but I'm so scared of construction. Like, I hear you. I'm not gonna hear I'm not here to tell you it's not. See, but what <laughs> I is. think is okay, like, but that comment, I think I'm the only one who says that. I feel everyone's scared of furniture, which is strange to me. And I feel like I hear more people who are scared of construction. Okay. Well, it's not just sound me. Sound off. <laughs> sound off in the comments, everybody. Like I mean, to me, like furniture is you can control it to some degree. I know how to install it, I guess. You know, there's a lot of technical things with construction that are not yeah. in my expertise. You're really relying on somebody else to be guiding you through the whole thing and the client through the whole thing. Obviously, we have a lot of a role there, but not entirely. <laughs> and it, I think a lot of it's going to depend on who you're saying is like who your partners are. So for example, I had a local contractor come by my office and introduce themselves and they were talking to me. And like during the first conversation, I already knew, oh, this isn't a contractor for me. Mm-hmm. And I was and I realized why is because I was asking them like, how do you like to handle things like the, you know, these materials and talk to me about your preference on cabinetry. And they were like, oh, we don't do any of that. You we depend on you or the client to figure that out. And I'm like, 
I'm not figuring out custom cabinetry. You're definitely going to be involved in that. It's not all just going to be on me, but that's my business. I want to know that the contractor... Runs that interiors. Yeah. I want to know that for my business, the contractor should be bringing in some solid relationships with some of these vendors or partners. If, If I have to refer someone in who I've worked with on cabinetry, that's fine. But the Contractor cannot be 100% hands-off with that because that's never going to work for the jobs we do. So for a contractor who's doing that, and I asked him, I'm like, why is that? And he's, well, we just have so much out of our control with timelines and this and that. And I was like, yeah, but I'm relying on contractors to do that because it's also not my job to fill in those gaps. And I was like, other contractors I work with are making money off the cabinetry. So they price it in a way that justifies them being involved. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But I. I need to have that ability for projects but for also you to do it. Building the room that these mm-hmm. items are going in and all the fixtures that need to accommodate. Yes. I'm not in charge of that. Yeah. I'm not putting the sinkhole where it goes. No, and I want to know that if I told the contractor, hey, all the walls and the ceilings need to be level because these cabinets are going right up to the ceiling and there's no reveal or there's no trim that you can't cover it up with something. If they're not feeling responsible for the cabinetry, then why would they feel responsible for the drywall that it's going against right. or the switch placement? Like or if, the timing. Like when do they even need to be mm, ready? Like that's that's why there are general contractors. That, and that's so, why you hire a fucking GC. So for me, that contractor doesn't work because they're already putting aside a really big piece of something that is very important to Renstead Interiors and the way I want to run projects. So for me, because I don't rep a cabinet line, I'm not that contractor doesn't work for me. They won't yeah, I ever guess, work for me. I guess if you're a designer that has a cabinet line and installers that accompany it, like maybe and if you wrap a cabinet line and you're really good at that, then you also are probably good at coordinating all those details. A hundred percent. So a hundred percent. You go, you go, girl. Yeah, you go, Glenn Coco. That's your thing. You do it. But for me, that and they're making work. money off of it. So yeah, I I get why. It, yeah, for sure. Same. And looking back, I've had a lot of fuck ups. Like my first project, I was literally at site visits, and they're like, "What's this supposed to look like?" And I'm just there with my shitty ass floor plan and elevations that didn't have anything on them really and I'm like oh damn it okay I'll get that to you this afternoon and I'm like leaving the site visit going home rushing through pushing aside other stuff I had for other projects so I could do this little drawing and then get it back to the job site or sending it over and of course then there's more questions so you're like oh my god like doing drawings while I was in construction yeah and even now, you sometimes have to I mean, revise. I'm doing that right You still <laughs> have to that. revise things where you're just like, oh shit, that beam is in a whole different spot. We need to redesign the hood to accommodate for something. How do we do that? Like that still happens. Yeah. But not in the beginning. It was every site visit I was leaving with a laundry list of stuff to do because I forgot to put the dimension for the light placement or I forgot to update a cabinet drawing to match what we changed with the cabinet maker. So now the GC was putting everything in place, assuming one sink width when it was really a different sink width. Like all of that kind of stuff just sort of underscored the fact that, oh no, all the drawings 
have to match. I've got to detail everything before construction starts, before the hammer swing, because once they've already started, it's pandemonium. Every day, your day gets ruined by that. So now it's not just this project getting off schedule. It's every project that I'm not doing stuff for because I'm playing catch up. Yeah, because some projects will have things that change. Mm -hmm. Like mine right now, the laundry was supposed to be getting moved outside. And then once after demo, they decided to keep it inside. So now the powder room that I thought was going in a spot is now where the laundry has to go. So I had to re-carve it out and oh, the sink doesn't fit. And oh, wait, that sink costs $5,000. I don't know. It just turned into a thing, but that's fine because like, I don't have that going on on every single project. Yeah. And so that just underscores for me the, if I'm already at capacity on other stuff, I always have to leave room. And part that's part of project management is always having capacity to be able to do more or for clients to ask other things or the scope of work to adjust. I've just now sort of resigned myself to the fact that that's going to happen on every job. And so I don't react negatively as much as possible. Oh, that's not in the scope. I can't do that. I don't ever say that. Like yeah. I'm... Not that I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I sign up for everything, <laughs> but I'm also like, I can make that change for you, but this I can do immediately. And this, I need another week for you. It's not pressing contractor. Can you wait on this? If we're going to adjust this, I need another week to catch up or client. Can we put this in another phase? I will put some boundaries around it. Not everything is an emergency. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, project management is the heaviest in construction, for sure. Yes. Yeah, because I'm there. There's like major... I'm not going to go... There's so many phases. Like I know some designers who have it like down to a science. Of, I expect the contractor to send an email to the client and me every Friday with what's happening. And I expect this. And I'm gonna. they're going to put on a paper when all the framing and electrical and drywall stuff is happening so I can be there. And... For me, I'm a little bit more loose with that. Like I know to ask, hey, when how far out is the framing from being through, close to a final walkthrough? How far out is the electrical? And I kind of fill in. If I was going to have to be super regimented with my time, I, I know that that would not be as easily repeatable. But I don't have that many projects in those phases at the same time. So as of late, it's been like one project in construction at a time. But that's not always. I've had some where it was three three at a time. And then I am sort of bouncing every week, making sure that I have space in my schedule to go to every major phase so I can be there and catch stuff before it's a problem. And it's like an expensive change order for the client. Right. Yeah. The white space in the schedule is (laughs) a personal challenge. And that's why I'm saying, like, if we don't block also, it off, yeah, it's going to get eaten. Totally. And that's why, like, having backup and help so that work is still progressing if you're running around. I mean, I think that's... I still see Ginny McDonald post about a Saturday site visit. I see Banner Day, Clara at Banner Day Interiors post about a Saturday site visit. I've done that before. I've dropped in on a Sunday because it's like, well, that was my only chance to get my eyes on it. So, I mean, I'd love it if it was just Monday through Friday. I'm not 
it's not often that it's all on the weekends, but sometimes that's the only time to get to some of what we do. Yeah, and you can't always get it. You don't. It's not on your timeline, so. I do kind of like the Saturday and Sunday ones because the contractors aren't there and mm. I don't have to be distracted by like all the other. Because do you? this happens to me a lot. When If I am there, I get like a barrage of questions. And I'm like, hold on. Some of that stuff is six weeks out. Can you fucking slow your roll for me? Because I don't have room for that right now. Like right now, you're placing rough electrical. I'm only talking to you about rough electrical right now shoot me an email on the other stuff or call me with the other stuff. But some contractors will just like brain dump everything. And I'm like, hold on. This is what I'm here for right now. It's what I have time for right now. Let's do the other stuff later. And I've sort of learned how to tell contractors earlier in projects now. Here's how to get a hold of me. Do, do not call me same day expecting a result or for me to show up unless it's a true emergency. And most of them get it, but you do, I have noticed there are a few that I have to explain to them. I have a life, I have a business, I have a family just like you, and I'm not, this is not my only client and you're not my only project. And I cannot just come over here on the fly. I cannot just show up when you call. I cannot be here at 7.30 in the morning to meet with a crew. Don't expect that because I'm not going to do that. And I'm not, you know, an emergency service. And also to remind them, my client is, they're paying me hourly. So when you do this, you're not getting paid anymore, but they're looking at what I'm spending and wondering why. What are we talking about? Sending them a bill every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I'm not, I don't know. I also realistically, as a white man, experience fewer. I have had very few sort of ego-charged interactions with contractors. So I'm not the right person to talk to about that because I know that it's not the same for you on a job site and for many of our hotties, especially the lady hotties. Like I know the personalities you're dealing with with those contractors. I know. And it's really tricky when it's not someone that you have a relationship with. And we've Mm -hmm. been talking about this a lot too. We can't be the ones deciding who they hire, the client hires. We can only give light guidance, recommendations, or not even recommendations, light (laughs) options. But there are, like I have a contractor I've been working with now and he's great. Like I love working with him. He's really easy to communicate with. Yeah. Yeah. There's no ego situations. So that makes me enjoy the process a lot more. Yeah. And that's, isn't that why we all end up just working with the same people that we love so often? Like it makes it easier on everybody. I mean, it makes it easier on the client. I mean, whether they know it's happening or not. Yes. It is. I don't know. That could be a whole, just a whole. I'm going to, I don't know. I feel like I'm cussing a lot this episode, but a whole bitch session of just picking contractors and dealing with all of that. I don't want to tackle too much of that, but the best partners do really make our lives easier. And you get those where they're just like, they're on board and they get it and they know what you're doing and why. And that's why when I find contractors who like 
who run their business in a similar way to what we do, it just creates magic and it's so hard to express to clients. It's really... Number one, they just have to see the value in our job. Mm -hmm. So full stop, if the contractor thinks he can do our job, then it's just already going to be bad. And And part of that comes back to just being able to like show and express our value to projects. And what I have noticed is the more comprehensive and professional my materials, my presentations, my construction binder, my drawings, I don't owe anybody that. Like, I don't walk into a room and have to be like, but look at everything I've ever done to determine my value. However, in that same breath, showing up with well-executed drawings and design plans and and schedules and FFNE and tear sheets and having all of that just ready and professional and organized and easy to understand immediately starts changing the perception of what we're providing and what we've been doing. And the I yeah. do notice even for me, from those for that very first construction job all the way till now, the way that that interaction goes with the contractor has changed from me being the order taker in those early years to me being the order giver of, no, this is what we're doing, not what you're saying. This is what is already done. It's already organized, approved, signed off on, purchased, done. A good contractor will be appreciative of that and be like, oh, you did a you lot did of all work, the work for me. And But there's always those ones that think that they have better ideas or I don't... Uh, well, I had not. those too. I've had those where they're just like, we were thinking about this for the cabinet. I'm like, nope, can't change that on that cabinet because then it changes this and that's why we can't do it. And or that's ugly. It's ugly. Or, yep, we presented that in a very early concept stage to the client and this is what we decided on. But feel free to tell me if you think there's going to be an issue with, you know, yeah, is a doorknob going to hit something that I need to know about? Tell me that. Share. Go ahead. But also... I'm not necessarily going to change the design because you shared this potential drawback. And I probably have thought about it. And again, when you're, when they're doing that, they're um, charging the client money. Like Mm -hmm. you sitting here ideating on something that we've already decided and will work just fine is like, (laughs) why, why are you doing that? Yeah. So that's the type of stuff that I feel like you learn as you go, but I don't let it, I mean, I still worry about stuff I don't know in construction. I don't know everything, but I will figure it out. I will Google it. I will search it. I will I will also push back on contractors. I'm like, is this because it's harder that way or because it can't be done that way? And I right. do think it takes some guts to be able to say that. I recognize the privilege that I have to be able to say that to people and have the homosexual audacity to call people out on things. <laughs> like, I mean, I do that. Is this because it's faster or cheaper? Or is this because you don't want to do it? Yeah. And there's ways <laughs> of doing it. Like I can do it and make it sound non-threatening and like a joke, but also kind of put them in a position where they have to be honest. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's part of the ownership of what we do is like building the experience and the credibility and the background to be able to know they're saying this because it's cheaper. They're saying this because it's advocating easier. advocating for the it's, client. Like the client wants us to be advocating the design because they don't know. Like they're trusting us to manage mm-hmm. that for them. Exactly. So yeah, I think this part of project management really come. There is a lot of organization and all aspects and administration stuff. 
but also just stepping up and kind of being the voice for your client. Cause I mean, they'll like, if a contractor asks them what size grout lines do you want? They don't, they've never heard that question before. Yeah. But we know the answer. So we don't need to, I don't know. It's just something simple like that, but we have to be the advocate and confident and question things too. I 100% agree. I'm a, you know, I'm the questioner. You don't got to tell me to. And I, I think, mean, <laughs> yeah, no, you are. And I'm not, I don't know. I'm all, I'm not like a super confrontational person by nature, but I am somebody who will fight for who I'm protecting. So yeah. in most case, so I am like the client's protector in this w- aspect. Yeah. And I'm not going to let, them be taken advantage of because that just yeah. makes me look bad. You know, like I was hired to be. <laughs> I feel like a lot of designers are assassin. like, we, <laughs> I was going <laughs> to, I was looking at more at Cape Crusader. Like we, a lot of us have a very high sense of justice yeah, and doing what is equitable or fair is Helpful. important to us. Yeah. Providing, we also whether to our detriment or not, many designers feel a sense of ownership over a project, even when something like isn't their fault. Like we will try to fix it or take money out of our pocket to correct something, mm-hmm. even when we don't have to, or even when it's technically the contractor's fault. Like we just want things to be right and we don't want people to be upset. And we, we, I feel like that is part of our value add of being a designer is that truly no one is going to care more about your project than us because when the clients are so burnt out and exhausted, we still care. We still are fighting for every little detail to be perfect. Right. So project management is not something we should get down on ourselves if we are feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or even just intimidated to start. But I think it's okay to recognize where we've started from and growing with it. Improving and yeah, getting help where you need it. We didn't talk too much about outsourcing, but yeah, like getting your drawing packets together, get somebody to draw them if you don't have time, skills, or will. Yeah, Um, I learned that I need to to do that. I learned through growing and expanding, like, whoever is on my team has to be willing and somewhat capable of being able to help manage site management or walkthroughs or stuff like that because I can't be the only linchpin. But there are also people who do this literally for a living. Like I have seen many designers who work nationally putting on Instagram posts looking for local construction project managers. They exist in most major areas. There are people who do it. There are also, we may not know this, but there are people who work as like contractors for general contractors doing this. So it's actually their own business to do construction project management. And they get brought on as a per project basis. And I've seen several national designers hire those like 1099 contractor construction managers just for that purpose. So it's a whole other industry within what we do. And if a project justifies it, like the fee structure of a project could justify it, you know, eventually it doesn't have to be us doing everything. So right. goals right there. Goals. Hashtag goals. Yes. So hotties, if you've been avoiding it, stop it. But also 
get some tools and stuff involved in your business to make it easier for you to manage. And just, yeah, get in there and get get your lessons. Yeah, take a few punches. That's kind of... I, I know. I feel like that's... Hopefully, just, you don't have to tear out a whole shower and pay for it yourself or oh something like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. get that, And all of that is part of getting all our details right. And it just... I know we talk about this like everyone's got to put in their put in their time their time and their energy into this but truly it is like the best way to figure this out and learn and know what you need to take the most serious and prioritize for projects. So I think I don't think it's I think you can all do it. I mean I I don't have that many big f-ups in the last 6 years that I'm like I would tell other designers to avoid it. No, same. Okay. Well, I like it. That's a few lessons in project management for you. Yeah, more to come. You got it. So until next time, stay hot, designers. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 